Walsh. Donald Trump. And a friend of mine for a long time, he uh, only likes politics. If you ask him about how are the Yankees doing, he has no interest. If you ask him almost anything, he likes politics and he's a professional at the highest level. Roger Stone. All of these presidents relied on one man to secure their seat in the Oval Office. That man is Roger Stone. Welcome. I'm Roger Stone, and that's right. We're back on the Stone Zone. You know, because I've written a New York Times bestselling book on the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, uh, because I wrote a book that exposed the truth about Watergate, uh, because I'm working on a book about the attempted assassination of President Ronald Reagan, there are some people who have tried to label me as a conspiracy theorist. I like to think of myself as a conspiracy realist. There is one subject in which I'm most curious, but I admit that I have extraordinarily limited knowledge. That is the events uh, of uh, the day uh, at the World Trade Center on 9-11. Today, I'm pleased to say that my guest is Richard Gage, AIA. He's an architect of 30 years from the San Francisco Bay Area, a member of the American Institute of Architects and the founder and former CEO of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. Today, he is independent. He, along with his courageous wife, Gail, who fortunately helped us arrange this interview, continue to lead the charge towards a real investigation into the destruction of all three World Trade Center skyscrapers on 9-11. You can learn more about Richard Gage and his work by going to richardgage911.org. Now, Mr. Gage became interested in researching the destruction of the World Trade Center high-rises after hearing the startling conclusions of a reluctant 9-11 researcher, David Ray Griffin, on the radio in 2006, which launched his very own unyielding quest for the truth about 9-11. The organization he founded, AE 9-11 Truth, now numbers more than 3,600 architects and engineers, all demanding a new investigation into the destruction of all three World Trade Center high-rise buildings on 9-11. As an architect, uh, Richard has worked on most types of building construction, including numerous fireproofed steel frame buildings. More recently, he worked on the construction documents for a $400 million mixed-use urban project with 1.2 million square feet of retail, parking structure, and mid-rise office space, altogether about 1,200 tons of steel framing. It is my distinct pleasure and honor to welcome Richard Gage, AIA architect, to the Stone Zone. Well, hello, Roger. Great to be here with you. Thank you so very much. Richard, I admit to you that I begin our conversation with no preconceived notions and extremely limited knowledge. Uh, I do know that uh, much like, uh, oh, I don't know, the death of Seth Rich, 
questions about the events of 9-11 have become almost like the third rail uh, in American public discourse. If you ask any reasonable question, you're immediately accused of being some kind of nut, some kind of conspiracy theory. But your credentials are impeccable. You are an architect and an expert, and that's why I'm so anxious and happy about having you on the show today. I really enjoyed meeting you in Phoenix, and I'm delighted that you were able to accommodate us. Uh, I, it's, I almost don't know where to start. Uh, I do note that my very good friend, Judge Andrew Napolitano, when he was at Fox, simply asked the question about the toppling of Building 7, uh, for which he was verbally uh, abused uh, in the media, I think briefly suspended at Fox, simply for asking a reasonable question. So perhaps that's a good place to start. But beyond that, sir, the platform is yours. Thank you so much for joining us. Goodness. Uh, thank you, Roger. And I know Tucker suffered the same fate uh, or similar fate as did Andrew Napolitano and, and others as well. And that's why I applaud you for your courage in bringing to the floor the evidence of the World Trade Center buildings uh, one, two and seven. So uh, shall let, let's just get into it then. Uh, Go ahead, uh, Reagan. Let's let's uh, fire this up, because I don't want your audience to be the last to know. I don't want you to be the least informed either. Uh, we need to get this evidence out everywhere. Uh, Alex Jones has put it on the air uh, five or six times. Uh, what does he talk about uh, uh, when he's had me on? We talk about Building Seven. Most architects and engineers don't even know that the about the third worst structural failure in modern history. And after the Twin Towers, Building 7 is completely unprecedented. It's collapse. Roger, I'm a member of the Amer one of 90,000 members of the American Institute of Architects. And guess what? Not one of us got even one bulletin on this building's uh, failure. Uh, so let's look at it. Uh, we have a 47-story skyscraper, easily the tallest building in most of our states. On the afternoon of 9-11, something happened to it, right? Uh, this, it went down, though it was not hit by a plane. It was about 100 yards from the North Tower, and it had some beams that hit it. Huh? I heard something. Um, no. Um, so somebody else needs to go on mute uh, then. Uh, so we have uh, this building standing strong uh, after its collapse, and then, excuse me, after the collapse of the Twin Towers. And then this happens at 5.20 in the afternoon. Now, people just are aghast when they see this. They say, wait a minute, that's not one of the Twin Towers. Right. But it happened seven hours after the towers came down. Well, let's get into it a little bit, because here's the official narrative of this building's collapse, that it came down by normal office fires. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> We've never lost a steel frame skyscraper due to normal office fires. Let's look at these fires. Well, they're few, they're small, and they're scattered. These are the worst photos or videos that we have of these fires. And yet uh, they are diminished, in fact, out at the time of the collapse uh, at 520. So how could the collapse have happened, as the official narrative tells us, by NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, who was tasked by Congress to explain these collapses to the American people. Well, we've never lost a steel frame 
fireproof skyscraper in history ever, not before or even after, in these fully engulfed buildings. They don't come down due to fire. This claim is completely unprecedented. Uh, let's look at it again. The East Penthouse comes down first in an isolated event six seconds before the entire building does this. Yes, straight down, suddenly, smoothly, symmetrically into its own footprint in under seven seconds. Have we seen this before? Yeah, these are... This is a typical controlled demolition. Everybody knows that we've all seen the old hotels in Las Vegas. There's a set of features associated with these explosive controlled implosions, right? We're going to look at them real quick. Let's go to feature number one. Is there a sudden onset of destruction? Let's listen to Dan Rather explain this for us. Tell me if you can hear Dan. No volume. Okay. So uh, that's that's my fault. I'm going to uh, stop and restart the share with sound. My bad. What do you think so far, Roger? Uh, sometimes this is a function of Skype. Uh, we've had these nope. kind of audio issues, but no, I, I, I got to click share. Sam. In growth, so take your time. You're doing great. Yeah, so hopefully you'll be able to 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 hear Dan because he's <laughs> he's using his intuition, Roger, just like we all should, right? Um, and well, then look, let's be sure to remember that Dan Rather uh, is the only journalist who was shown the Zaprutter film before it was locked away, and he said at the time that Kennedy was hit from the front and his head lurched sharply forward. We now know, having seen the Zaprutter film, that his name, his head snapped directly back. So much for Mr. Rather's credibility. Continue. Gotcha. Okay, I think I heard Reagan say something that the uh, the sound wasn't going to work after all. And that's all right. okay, I just need to confirm that. Okay. So you can see, go ahead and share that screen, uh, Reagan. Uh, you can see uh, a typical controlled demolition on the right and uh, Building 7 on the left. Now, I don't see it moving in front of me, but it is moving on my side. So you want to go to the full screen? Maybe uh, for, to see the video, you have to run the full screen, uh, Reagan. Okay. So it looks exactly like a controlled demolition, as you'll see. Uh, and uh, wh when he puts it on the full screen, uh, it, it, it drops suddenly, smoothly, symmetrically, straight down into its own footprint. Uh, and there you see it there. A series of controlled demolitions on the right, building seven on the left. Is there enough similarity to warrant an investigation into the possible use of explosives? Especially since it looks exactly like a controlled demolition especially since fire, the official cause of this building's collapse, has never in history brought down a steel frame fire-protected structure, uh, high-rise, ever. Uh, it uh, hasn't happened. So let's look at the second feature. Is there a straight-down uh, controlled demolition? Let's look from West Street. Yeah, uh, pr pretty straight-down collapse is what I meant there. And How about uh, feature number three? How do you do this? How do you bring a building straight down? You have to remove all 24 core columns, followed about a second later by all the perimeter columns, and then repeat that on every floor that you can. In this case, 
at least eight floors. I'll explain that in a minute. Do you think these fires can cause that precision of, in, of destruction? No, <laughs> those fires were even out before the building collapsed. How fast is it coming down? The physicists have clocked it at free fall acceleration for at least a third of its seven second fall. And finally, after denying it for seven years, NIST admits it, but they don't acknowledge the implications of that free fall. What are the implications? That all of these columns had to have been removed at once. That's what would have had to have happened for this building to fall that way, which would have resulted in feature number five, the total dismemberment of this building. The center of the pile is in the center of the footprint of the building. It's only six stories tall, maybe. Uh, we have 47-story moment-resisting steel frame skyscraper. This, when buildings collapse in, due to natural causes, you see massive sections of buildings that are certainly damaged, but they don't fall into a, a uh, every column is not severed from every other beam. The concrete is not pulverized to a fine powder. And there aren't witnesses that hear explosions beforehand. Uh, like Daryl, a medical student, a sound of a clap of thunder, a shockwave ripping through the building, windows busting out, and then, he says, the building coming down. Or Air Force medic Kevin McPadden. Are you hearing this? Another two, three seconds, you hear explosions. A distinct sound. I knew it was an explosion. Not like compression, like floors falling on, on one another, is what he says. And then Bill Rosati says, I was standing two blocks away, and all of a sudden, a big flash, and the building coming down, and people just running everywhere. Referring, of course, to Building 7 here. Well, what could do this? We have to look back at the original report that came out from FEMA in May of 2002. It's a metallurgical examination of the steel in Building 7. End. The Twin Towers, never before observed. Eutectic reactions, intergranular melting, solid steel girder turning into Swiss cheese, like this piece of World Trade Center 7 beam. Fire doesn't do this to beams. Rapid oxidation, sulfidation, liquid iron. Guess what? That's molten iron. Guess what? Molten iron takes 2,800 degrees Fahrenheit. The fires in this building weren't even five or 600 degrees. That's a quarter of the temperatures required to melt steel, and yet FEMA it themselves documents in Appendix C of the 2002 B Building Performance Assessment Team report, sulfur formed during this hot corrosion attack on the steel. They don't know where the sulfur came from. They don't know where the liquid iron came from. They don't know how this ever happened to a steel beam in of Building 7 uh, by fire. It's never happened before. Steel members in the debris pile appear to have been partly evaporated in extraordinarily high temperatures, says the fire protection engineer, the author of that report. But there's a problem here, right? It takes four thousand degrees Fahrenheit to melt steel, more than six times the temperatures of these fires. What's going on here? It was documented by Abelhaz and Astani Ozel from UC Berkeley. I saw melting of girders in the World Trade Center, he says, because he had a National Science Foundation grant to study that steel. So uh, then we have the melting of steel again and iron as it is 
ter- turns out to be by the engineering analysis of it. Uh, it w- we can tell by the color of molten materials what their temperature is. We're exceeding 2,500 degrees here with yellow and white-hot liquid iron pouring out of the crab claw excavator. Uh, th- and so if that's evidence, and it can only be, of ignited incendiaries, is there any other evidence of that? Oh, yeah. The USGS gives us gives it to us on a silver platter in 2005 in their particle atlas of the World Trade Center dust. They do all this analysis. What puzzled them most of all is the billions of previously molten, that's, again, 2,800 degrees, iron. We haven't used iron in our skyscrapers for 100 years. Where's the iron coming from? I'll tell you. <laughs> Spheres. How do they get spherical? They're about the diameter of a human hair. Billions of them. In fact, up to 6% of these dust samples are just that. Four tons by extrapolation throughout all the World Trade Center dust put together. This is incredible. They don't know where it came from, but the EPA says it's used to distinguish dust, WTC dust from common office building dust. But they don't know where it came from. Let's see where it comes from. Let's run a controlled experiment with thermite, an incendiary used by the military to cut through steel like a hot knife through butter. Looks like thousands of sparks, but what are they? They're molten iron microspheres, one of the byproducts of thermite, the other being aluminum oxide ash. Well, pretty fascinating. Uh, We have... How does that even happen? Aerosolized liquids form themselves into droplets. Uh, That's just what they do. In the case of molten iron under pressure, uh, like thermite uh, going off, could that be what's toasting the tops of these cars all around the World Trade Center? Does anybody else have any rational explanation for this phenomenon in this very high heat event? No, it's unexplained. So if that was evidence of ignited thermite and it can only be we got to look and see if there's there any evidence of unignited thermite throughout the world trade center dust because it's everywhere right from river to river across lower manhattan a team of eight international scientists led by niels Herrett in copenhagen identifies seven independently collected samples as not just thermite but Nanothermite. Very interesting. They collect these red-gray chips. They're red on one side, gray on the other, dual-layered, indicating, like paint, they appear to have been uh, applied with a, as a liquid. Well, they, they thought they were paint, but they're attracted by a magnet. They're about a sixteenth of an inch long on average, and they, they get real curious. They zoom into the red layer. Why are they attracted by a magnet? They have a high iron content. Interesting. They do X-ray energy dispersive spectroscopy and find what? Aluminum, iron, the key ingredients of thermite, the incendiary used by the military again. But they get real curious now and they go, they zoom in 50,000 times with an electron microscope. What do they find? Nano-sized particles of iron oxide and aluminum powder set in a matrix Those are the ingredients of thermite, by the way. This matrix is of organic material, oxygen, silica, carbon. That's what's put in TNT to expand rapidly and knock things over in high-energy explosives. 
by creating a rapidly expanding gas. So here we have an incendiary, which works by means of heat, extraordinary heat, by the way, 4,000 degrees, that's been engineered to become more explosive. It's not made in a cave in Afghanistan. <laughs> it's made only in the most advanced defense contracting laboratories who tested this stuff prior to 9-11, Los Alamos and Lawrence Livermore Lab. What do they find when they put these chips in a heater, a differential scanning calorimeter? They ignite rapidly. And uh, they, at 420 degrees Celsius, about 758 centigrade, what happens when they ignite, do you imagine? They produce molten iron microspheres with the same chemical signature as the molten iron microspheres produced and found were found by the U.S. Geological Survey in all the World Trade Center dust samples. So you see, we know exactly where, even though the EPA doesn't and the USGS didn't uh, speculate, we know where they came from. Experiment is the arbiter of competing hypotheses. They came from these molten, uh, excuse me, these red-gray chips. You can even see them uh, uh, coming off of the uh, red-gray chips. They're found attached to partially ignited red-gray chips. So the conclusion of this team of scientists published in the Bentham Open Chemical Physics Journal in 2009 is that the red layer of the chips is active, unreacted thermitic material incorporating nanotechnology. It's a highly energetic pyrotechnic and or explosive material. So all of this evidence is being put into the film series that we're making with the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry, who's already submitted 60 exhibits of evidence to the U.S. Attorney in Manhattan for a special grand jury investigation. And this film series will be going along with it to bring it alive with 24 experts in their fields. And all of that evidence for ignited and unignited thermite applies also to the Twin Towers, which also have a set of features associated with controlled demolition. Some very uncharacteristic features as we've been seeing already. None of it can be explained by fire. Let's look at the first one again. Is there a sudden onset? Oh my gosh, take a look. We have the North Tower in still, and all of a sudden it's in uniform downward motion. No hesitancy uh, when it meets the cold, hard, intact steel below. Same with the South Tower. No jolt, no hesitation. Now, this has been also determined by physicists who've clocked this because uh, the official narrative tells us that the upper story above the point of jet plane impacts, drove the rest of the building down to the ground and then destroyed itself. That's called the crush down, crush up theory from Zdenek Bazant of Chicago Northwestern University. And guess what? It makes no sense. It completely violates the third law of motion. There's an equal and opposite destructive force when two bodies collide. So the top part can't destroy the cold, hard, intact steel, which is getting thicker and thicker and thicker below. It's like saying a Volkswagen runs into a Mack truck and destroys it. Does it matter if we drop the Volkswagen onto the Mack truck? No, it doesn't matter. That top part cannot possibly destroy the heavier, cold, hard, intact steel below. These steel 
uh, columns are virtual pyramids. It's the lightest at the top, three-eighths inch thick. And then it gets like uh, uh, slabs of four-inch thick in, in a combination of totaling 52 inches by 22 inches at the bottom of these pyramids. It's, it's a, a literal pyramid. The top of a pyramid cannot destroy the bottom. And just look at the videos. Upward, outward, arching streamers, a geometry of fireworks, freely flying structural steel sections weighing uh, four and eight tons laterally ejected uh, at uh, at uh, uh, 80 miles an hour, clocked by physicists. It, it, both of them together here, they occur about 15 minutes apart, but they are identical too. So they, we have asymmetrical damage from the fires, the planes, and the and the, uh, uh, the 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 building, the South Tower, for instance, falling off in the beginning. Uh, but complete symmetrical damage. It, 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 the, the North Tower here looks much similar, more similar to the volcanic eruption in the Tongan Sea, with uh, laterally ejected molten objects trailing thick white smoke clouds, which can only be the evidence of thermite on the ends of the beams uh, because these steel beams are not flammable under office fire conditions or jet fuel. Jet fuel, by the way, only burns at 600 degrees Fahrenheit, according to its manufacturer. So what are the witnesses here? Uh, now, uh, not just 118, but 180. 86 total witnesses uh, hearing sounds of explosions. You felt the ground shake. You could see the tower sway, and then it just came down. So you're, you're going to hear again and again through these few witnesses the order of their uh, perception of these events, these explosions occurring before the collapse. All of a sudden, the ground just started shaking. It felt like a train running under my feet. The next thing we know, we look up, and the tower is collapsing. Shook my bones shortly before the tower came down. I remember feeling the ground shaking. I heard a terrible noise. And then debris just started flying everywhere. You get the order of events. These guys are witnessing explosions before the collapse again and again. There's Dozens and dozens and dozens of them. I'll just read a couple more. I saw a flash, flash, flash at the lower level of the building. You know, like when they demolish a building. With each popping sound, it was initially an orange. And then a red flash came out of the building. And then it would just go all the way around the building on both sides. Saw a number of brief light sources being emitted from inside the building between floors 10 and 15. He saw about six of these brief flashes accompanied by a crackling sound before the tower collapsed. I saw low-level flashes. I saw a flash, flash, flash. And then it looked like the building came down. You ever see professional demolition where they set chargers on certain floors and you hear the pop, pop, pop? When I heard that friggin' noise, that's when I saw the building coming down. An explosion appeared to be at the very top simultaneously from all four sides. Materials shot out horizontally. And then there seemed to be a momentary delay before you could see the beginning of the collapse. How specific does it need to be? It's, it's extremely specific. There was an explosion in the South Tower, one floor under another. When it hit about the fifth floor, I figured it was a bomb 
because it looked like a synchronized, deliberate kind of thing. Not one of these witnesses was interviewed or reported, at least, by NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, who was supposed to give us the final report. They had 10,000 pages in their report. They had $20 million. They had two or three years to put all this together. Jumping ahead, you can uh, read these, by the way, on our uh, comprehensive documentary called 9-11 Explosive Evidence Experts Speak Out. That's on our website, richardgage911.org. Take a look at the symmetry here. In, in the South Tower, we have asymmetry, actually. It begins to tip over and fall off. It's 22 degrees off-center. Then how in the world do we get complete symmetrical destruction, like the firefighters said, all the way around the building from top to bottom? Uh, it makes no sense. It, it, it's... Uh, given the asymmetrical damage from the airplanes, the fires. And in fact, if you zoom in right here, you can, oops, right? Oh, please. That didn't just happen. It did. You can see individual explosions racing down the building in this leading corner of the destruction. Uh, about a dozen explosions uh, rapidly descending and that's a close-up of that. And it's very, very clear what's going on here. Uh, let's take a look at these squibs or isolated explosive ejections occurring here, 20 stories down, here, 40 stories down below the plane impacts or the zone of destruction, and here, about 60 stories down. Explosions. These have no explanation in the, in the official narrative uh, whatsoever. Here on the left side of the... Uh, South Tower, which begins to tilt to the right, you have explosions, about a dozen of them simultaneously in this looped video that you can see quite easily, which is liquefying essentially the structure of the South Tower so that it doesn't continue falling to the right, uh, but it settles in on itself and gives rise to that symmetry. If the top part were driving the rest of the building down to the ground, you would see it, but none of the photos, none of the videos show any top part driving the rest of the building down to the ground. It's been destroyed in the first three seconds, as we've seen. Leaving uh, in the path of these explosions uh, a few remaining core columns, which are quite visible for about six seconds until they themselves receive yet another explosion and drop frame by frame through the concrete powder which has been shaken off of them. So... Let's take a look at the upper part, upper part. Look at the lower red line. It's not moving down. We're told that the upper part drove the rest of the building down to the ground. But you can see very clearly right here between the green and the lower red line what's really going on. It's being destroyed itself by those squibs that we saw uh, here, uh, for instance. So we have... The speed of the descent of the towers also is quite revealing, given by physics teacher David Chandler, to be 60% of freefall acceleration. What does that mean? That means it's not slowing down. Well, all of this steel, about 80,000 tons beneath the point of jet plane impacts, is resisting that collapse, or would if it were allowed to. 
but it's being removed. That's the only way that you can achieve a near free fall acceleration, getting faster and faster and faster, straight down through the path of greatest resistance, the 80,000 tons of structural steel. It has to have been removed. And how is it being removed? Well, we can see that it's been laterally ejected, four and eight ton structural steel sections embedding themselves into the winter garden 600 feet away, into every high rise all around it. And we can see the lateral ejection of that steel in frame by frame analysis here showing that they are freely flying structural steel sections. Look at this one. Freely flying back to forward to back to it's horizontally ejected four tons that's enough energy to eject a 200 pound cannonball three miles what is the force that's been applied to that steel beam to eject it such that it ends up hitting in this case world trade center seven beneath it and then gravity begins to take over and then you get 45 degrees and then at about several hundred feet away it it turns into a, a vertical fall by the way if a hundred thousand tons of steel framing is distributed outside the footprint of both towers because it is because all you see is these remaining shards at the bottom inside the footprint of the steel structure the columns we have to ask ourselves what's crushing the building Zdenek Bazant told us that it was the steel, the weight of all that steel that was crushing the building down to the ground. That's where the weight is in the building. It's half the weight of the building almost. Well, maybe there's something else going on here. Uh, we can find that we, we discovered the towers are only 200 feet wide, but the, the, the perimeter debris field is 12 to 1400 feet all around both towers, well beyond the boundary of ground zero, even impacting building seven to the north that we see here. And then we have to ask ourselves, could it have been the concrete? That's heavy. That's almost half the weight of the building. But those floors are missing. We're missing pancakes. We're looking for pancakes in a pancaking or natural or gravity-driven collapse. Where are the floors? On the right, you see a real gravity-driven collapse in Mexico due to an earthquake. On the left, we see maybe a three-, four-story pile of miscellaneous steel and other metals. Where's the concrete? It's missing. Oh, I found it, Roger. There it is. It's being pulverized in midair to a fine powder. All the photos, all the videos show 90,000 tons of concrete from each tower completely pulverized to 100 micron particles spread throughout lower Manhattan in a blanket three inches thick from river to river. Well, if that's where the concrete is, 90,000 tons of it for each building, what's crushing the building? It wasn't the steel. It's not the concrete. That's like six or seven eighths of the weight of the building. There's nothing left. And that's why we have been able 
to convince 3,600 architects and engineers and millions of others, signing the petition over at AE 9-11 Truth for a new investigation. And now you can find that petition also on richardgage911.org, and you can sign it. Your, well, you can't sign it there. You want to sign it at AE 9-11 Truth.org. But what we have is all the evidence the features of controlled demolition and some very uncharacteristic features of direct evidence of destruction with explosives. Fire doesn't create any of these features, let alone all of them. With additional circumstantial corroborative evidence and testimony, we find that proof of controlled demolition. And that proof is in the documentary that I made, 9-11 Explosive Evidence Experts Speak Out. Uh, also, World Trade Center Building 7 with actor Ed Asner, uh, Solving the Mystery. And then also uh, from Dylan Avery, we have the movie 7, which is the study, the forensic study, independent analysis, pulling the rug out from underneath the NIST report, showing that fire did not bring these buildings down. All that evidence is going into the film Crime Scene to Courtroom, which you can co-produce uh, those of you who would like to uh, move this into and past and through the post-editing phase. We've already filmed it with our experts in Washington, D.C. Mick Harrison and I uh, featured uh, with him providing the legal ramifications of this evidence and instructions to the grand jury. And I'm providing the evidence along with the experts and uh, that's what we needed to bring to the attention of those who are smart enough to watch The Stone Zone. Uh, it just uh, doesn't get any more clear than what Roger presents and what we've uh, been able to present today uh, by his kind permission. What do you think, Roger? Well, Richard, that was uh, extraordinarily compelling uh, and informative, uh, and in my case, extremely educational you confirmed a lot of suspicions that I had. Now let's get into the portion, which of course is conjecture. Uh, if the, these buildings were not brought down because uh, one of them or two of them was hit by an airplane, uh, then why, how, we now know how, but we don't know is who and why. Who would have a motive? What would be a possible motive for the destruction of these buildings? Well, we would certainly want to look deeply into what happened following 9-11. Uh, and qui bono, who benefits from this? You know, did, did uh, Al-Qaeda benefit from this? Uh, questionable. Uh, did the arms industry, the oil industry, the banking industry, the insurance industry, and the media industry benefit highly. We have the regional hegemony in the Middle East, which has been a, arguably achieved. Uh, we have a vast increase in the military budget, which the Project for a New American Century think tank, neocon think tank, called for in their major statement, rebuilding America's defenses before the Bush administration came into power. When the Bush administration came into power, they he, they brought all uh, or most of these think tank signers of this paper in 
with them because they had called for, they, they said, absent a catalyzing and catastrophic event like a new Pearl Harbor, these goals will likely take a long time to achieve. And so Bush writes in his diary that night, uh, today we had our new Pearl Harbor. So they got what they needed uh, to get out of this, including the invasion of Iraq, which they were also calling for, which, of course, is, was a complete uh, uh, set of, of fraud upon the American people, the people of the world, and certainly the people of Iraq, who had no ties to Saddam Hussein, uh, no weapons of mass destruction. What about Afghanistan? Well, it looks like Osama bin Laden was there, but they offered him up. They said, give us evidence and we'll give you Osama bin Laden. Uh, that was denied uh, by President Bush. What else did Afghanistan have? 90% of the world's opium traffic or supply. And that was uh, shut down by the Taliban when they came into power. From 2,800 metric tons, they shut it down to 285 metric tons. They wanted to grow food. When we kicked them out following 9-11, the opium production skyrocketed, all according to the UN numbers, to 3,600 metric tons, exceeding the previous Taliban production. And then years later, it skyrocketed to 6,500 metric tons. Guess what? The Taliban kicked us out of Afghanistan. What does the UN report for their opium production? Back down to about 300 metric tons. They're growing food again. So that's got to give a lot of us pause. But also, Afghanistan found itself between the gas-rich stands above them to the north and Pakistan to the south where a pipeline needed to go through. And the Taliban reneged on their promise to work with UNICAL on that pipeline, going to Brazil instead. And they were told by Richard Armitage that we will give you a carpet of gold or a carpet of bombs. This is public information. Take your pick. I guess they chose the carpet of bombs because that's exactly what they got. The events of 9-11 are, are used to justify the passage of the Patriot Act. The Patriot Act, which we now know has been widely abused not for the surveillance of foreign terrorists, but for the surveillance of ordinary Americans. Yet another potential motive uh, for well, a government Actually, Roger, true. Uh, the, any of us can be arrested now with the Patriot Act without a right to a lawyer, a trial, a jury. We could be tortured and even assassinated. The Patriot Act, which no Congress member read, which all were pressured to sign, well, I think one or two of them didn't. Um, but that's an extraordinarily important point you, you just made, and I just wanted to emphasize it. A major motivation. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we've recently seen the U.S. Congress renewing uh, the 702 Act, uh, allowing uh, for warrantless surveillance 
of Americans, uh, cloaked in this idea that we're keeping an eye on terrorists, but widely abused during the Obama administration, uh, abused again during the Biden administration. Uh, I think that uh, that's part of your answer. I would point out also Vice President Richard Cheney, uh, one of the signers of that think tank paper calling for a new Pearl Harbor, but himself the chief architect of the falsehood that the war in Iraq was somehow tied to the involvement of Iraqis uh, in the attack uh, on the world is completely fictitious, wrong, false, uh, a, a fraud upon the American people. So uh, this, is, this has been a, a great discussion. Uh, I, I want to thank uh, Richard Gage and particularly your wife, Gail, for making you available. Uh, I'm going to want to ask you um, very shortly to be on my WABC New York radio show uh, so we can recap this. It's a little tighter format, but I would love to have you on. I want to thank you very much for being with us today in the Stone Zone. Uh, and uh, what can the average citizen do to push for truth, to push for more transparency on the entire question of the events of 9-11? Yes, there's a lot that people can do. People don't realize the power that they have individually. Right now, you know, we're, we may be talking to 100,000 or more people, right? If everybody simply sends this message out, your podcast today, to two people, uh, guess guess how many, and, and they send it to two people, the, the uh, geometric expansion of that possibility of, of educating the public, the media, our governmental representatives is extraordinary. I found out the other day that a domino this big knocking the next domino that's 1.5 times larger than it over and then the next one 1.5 times for seven dominoes to end result in a seven a, a hundred pound domino seven feet high can be knocked over okay that's the deep state that brought us 9-11 we're the little domino but we're not alone guess what there's billions of us there's only what a couple of hundred thousand of them so let's work together roger and i know that's why you have your podcast and but this information is extremely powerful the evidence has convinced 3600 architects and engineers to uh, not just sign the petition but actively try to educate uh, the building profession and the engineering professions and what are the other professions that we need to legal and uh, uh, and the media we, we've got to get everywhere so don't sit on this information is the moral of that story I want to thank uh, Richard Gage, uh, AIA, uh, a, uh, an architect, uh, a proud speaker of the truth for joining us today in the Stone Zone. Richard, I want to thank you and your wife, Gail, once again, for making yourself available and being flexible with your schedule. God bless you uh, and Happy New Year. Thanks, Roger. You too. Uh, folks, this is a, a great time to remind you that uh, we're brought to you here at the Stone Zone by the great folks at MyPillow.com. 
Now, there has to be someone in your family or your circle of friends who you forgot to send a great Christmas or holiday gift to. So here is your opportunity. By going to MyPillow.com and using promo code STONE, you can take advantage of a number of specials. Mike Lindell himself told me last night there is still free shipping. Let's talk about some of my favorite products. Everybody knows that Mrs. Stone and I are animal lovers. We have dogs and cats. Uh, and my dogs love their my pillow dog beds. There you see Mimi and Peewee, uh, brother and sister, uh, luxuriating in their my pillow dog bed. Now the my pillow dog beds uh, can be found. There they are. Uh, they go come in three sizes: small, medium, and large. Uh, 39.98, but that's for the the full size dog bed. They can be as low as 19.99. Uh, if you love the dog beds, well, then you got to have your pet blankets. Look how cute that little guy is right there. The pet blankets are great because, well, Mrs. Stone and I like to turn down the air conditioning at night. We like it cold. Uh, our our babies like to sleep in their MyPillow dog bed, but we cover them with their pet blankets so they remain snug uh, as we're under the covers ourselves. You're definitely going to want to check those out. Then, of course, there's the all-season men and women's moccasin slippers. Uh, these are on special. Once $149.98, they can now be had for a low, low $25, but only with promo code STONE. Uh, I'd be remiss if I did not mention uh, the uh, new revolutionary MyPillow 2.0. Now, if you haven't heard about this pillow, well, you're missing a lot. You see, the new MyPillow is the first new pillow that Mike Lindell has introduced in over 20 years, and it employs a patented cooling technology that is woven into the pillow. So, yes, you remain cool all night. Uh, Mike Lindell says height and temperature are two of the absolute keys to a great night's sleep. I guarantee you, when you try the new MyPillow 2.0, you'll probably get rid of the rest of your pillows. There's also a special four-pack special right now on the MyPillow 2.0. So normally, uh, an offer that would cost you $259.92, but right now, you can order four of these great pillows, uh, and by using promo code STONE, they will only cost you $99.98. Uh, so please go to MyPillow.com now or use 800-544-8939. That's 800-544-8939 to place your order today. Now, uh, the big news, of course, continues to be Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, I was one of the first Americans uh, to write extensively about Jeffrey Epstein uh, and his ties to the Clintons. Uh, and uh, even though the latest revelations have completely exonerated Donald Trump, who never visited Epstein's island, never visited uh, uh, Epstein's home in New York or Paris, never was on Epstein's plane and cut Epstein off in 1999 before Epstein was charged with the first uh, minor sexual crime in Florida, 
Uh, Bill Clinton, uh, as we now know, was on Epstein's island 26 times, on his plane at least 17 times. Uh, and we know that Jeffrey Epstein is the one who provided the initial funding for the Clinton Foundation, later called the Clinton Global Initiative. Uh, we also know that the Clinton Foundation, in turn, provided all of the financing for the Terra Mar Foundation that was run by Epstein pimp Ghislaine Maxwell. And although the intern program there was supposedly designed to uh, work on environmental projects, in fact, it became a grooming pool for young ladies who would become Jeffrey Epstein's uh, victims. You can learn all about this uh, in my groundbreaking breaking book, The Clinton's War on Women. The Clinton's War on Women, Chapter 7, Orgy Island, is the longest chapter in the book. Now, a lot of what you have learned just in the last 48 hours was actually available then in 2015 when I wrote that book. So let me urge you to order that book today. You can do that by going to uh, EpsteinTruthBook.com, EpsteinTruthBook.com. There it is. Uh, you can get a signed copy of The Clinton's War on Women. This is uh, all about the epic crime spree of Bill and Hillary Clinton, the penicillin-resistant syphilis of the American body politic. Uh, you're definitely going to want to get that book. Uh, let me also say, coming up this weekend on my WABC New York radio show, Congresswoman Elise Stefanik joins us. Uh, she is the courageous upstate New York congresswoman who filed a formal complaint against D.C. Judge Beryl Howell for her legal abuse of Giuliani uh, and her partisan remarks when she's supposed to be a judge. Uh, we also have Monica Crowley, uh, who's going to help me celebrate President Richard Nixon's 111th birthday, which will be uh, this coming Tuesday on January 9th. A uh, lot of inside stories about Nixon, uh, the man. Uh, you're not going to want to miss that. Uh, and then lastly, we also have uh, Nick Bryan, investigative journalist. He's actually the first person in the country uh, to uh, get a hold of Jeffrey Epstein's little black book, which he obtained from a source as early as 2012. Now, Nick Bryant, who joined us on the Stone Zone yesterday, uh, said that he, for seven years, approached various mainstream media outlets seeking to sell them the story as an independent journalist, that's how he made a living, uh, of Jeffrey Epstein. We now know that the story was spiked at Vanity Fair because of pressure from Bill Clinton, spiked at ABC News. We can speculate uh, about uh, who that pressure came from. Uh, but now we're being told some of the details of uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, I don't think the American people have been told everything. Uh, and it's still amazing to me that the only person other than Epstein who most definitely did not kill himself, uh, who's been prosecuted, was uh, his pimp, Ghislaine Maxwell. There are many, many others involved as procurers uh, or, or uh, co-conspirators in the sex trafficking and abuse of children. 
So I ask you to go to EpsteinJustice.com, EpsteinJustice.com, and sign the petition there demanding uh, the appointment of a Truth and Reconciliation Commission to get to the bottom uh, of what really happened in the Epstein scandal. We know that the FBI, when they raided Epstein's home after his death, removed box after box after box of DVDs. We know that Epstein was running a honeypot operation, not only on his island in the Virgin Islands, but also at his home in New York, uh, his ranch in New Mexico, uh, and his lavish appointment uh, apartment in Paris. So what happened uh, to those DVDs? Who is on them? What foreign leaders, what American political leaders, who has been compromised? I think we all agree uh, that if we allow the abuse of children, we are not serving our citizenry very well. So please go to EpsteinJustice.com, sign the petition there, and check it out. Uh, again, one more reminder, we'd be very grateful to you if you stop by MyPillow.com. And when you do, please use promo code STONE. That's how we finance the Stone Zone. Uh, and uh, your support there is deeply, deeply appreciated. Uh, in the meantime, that's about it for the day. Tune in to my WABC radio show, uh, The Roger Stone Show. Uh, that's at 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern on WABCradio.com. We're streaming worldwide, including 173 countries, including the entire United States, once again, wabcradio.com at 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern this Sunday. Check it out. In the meantime, God bless you and Godspeed. A man who's gone through hell, but he's kept going and he's smart and he's strong and people love him. Not everybody, but people love him and respect him. Roger Stone. Where's Roger Stone? (laughs) 